0: so no.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast, presented by 4for4.com. I'm your host, Greg Smith. The music on today's show is a song called This House is Empty by The Fleshtones, going way back to a 1983 album called Hexbreaker. To hear the song in full, plus all the other songs from these episodes of mine, check out the Team Map B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. I also want to let you know before we dive into the agenda for this episode that Four for fours rankings and projections have been updated, so be sure to go over there, check that out, dig into uh, all the great stuff that John Paulson has cooked up. One of the pieces of the puzzle when doing projections is a player's set of weekly matchups, and to help me discuss the NFL schedule's impact on fantasy, I'm going to be joined today by Eric Moody. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric N Moody and check out all of his work at for fantasy data, and the Athletic. Welcome to TMap, Eric. How's it going?
0: Oh, things are going great. I'm better than I was, but uh not nearly as good as I'm going to be now that it's time to chat about the NFL. How are things in your world, Greg?
1: They're good, man. I'm staying surprisingly busy between the day job, the fantasy stuff, and, you know, just things to do around the house. You know, it's it's funny like we're spending so much more time at home during quarantine that you you kind of realize how much more there is to do if you want to do it. And so I've been keeping myself busy for sure.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, same here, been trying to Eat much better and uh, get as much uh, sunlight as we can as a family. So I'm right there with you, man.
1: Yeah, I can't say I've been doing very well on the eating better front. Uh, that's that's something I could still stand to improve. But uh, enough, enough about my personal life. Let's talk fantasy, man. And <laughs> the NFL schedule's been released. We got to dig into it. I'm going to reference strength of schedule according to the over-under for win totals that teams had during the regular season. There's a really great chart that TJ Hernandez, our buddy from 444, tweeted out. So I'll link to that in the show notes if anybody wants to get a good snapshot of what the schedule looks like in general and which teams are facing the toughest outlook according to the Vegas odds. But before we get into all the nitty-gritty of winners and losers and strength of schedule, I want to talk more generally about the bye weeks on the schedule, Eric, and How much do you care where your fantasy players' bye weeks are? Do you want to see them early in the season, later in the season? Like, what are you looking for? Does it matter to you?
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember when you brought up this question. You know, to be candid, you know, I could care less, you know, if a player has their bye week early in the season versus late in the season. In the grand scheme of things, I'm like, you can't draw any statistical conclusions on player performance before or after a bye you know, based on when it falls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My recommendation is that, you know, you ignore bye weeks completely when drafting, you know, it's one less thing to think about, you know, most draft rooms and other fantasy football resources will include bye weeks but it's best to not allow those numbers to influence who you select on your fantasy team. Now I will tell you the benefit of this mindset is that it allows you to have, it allows you to always draft, you know, the best player available, you know, in any given spot, you know, based on your uh, positional tiers and rankings like you'll be taking each position into account to fill out your lineup as the draft progresses, but it's not a good idea in my opinion to pass up on someone that can have a positive impact on your fantasy team or to target someone way too early simply because of their buy. I think it's better for you to have the flexibility to go after the players you hold in the highest regard. You know, it's also a waste of time to think about bye weeks for players that are ultimately at the back end of your roster. I'm like, the reality is like you're going to cycle through many of those players, you know, in and out by the time the buy weeks really come around. Like, every season, you know, fantasy players are dealing with injuries, you know, the emergence of waiver wire pickups, and more or less favorable matchups as the season progresses. And no one really knows, like, what his or her starting lineup will be, like, in week six, for instance. Like, ignoring bye weeks and drafting also helps you select the best possible backups for your fantasy roster. Like, it's important to eventually pay attention to bye weeks as you're setting your lineups each week. You don't want to end up in an uncomfortable scenario when you're forced into, we'll say, an undesirable situation in order to, to feel the lineup for that week. You know, I can't stress this enough. You know, believe in your rankings and your tiers when drafting. You know, the success or failure of your fantasy football team is unlikely to be determined by bye weeks.
1: Yeah, I try not to worry about bye weeks very much in general at all because I feel like you can make arguments one way or the other, right? You could say, okay, I want all my guys to have their bias early so that at the end of the season when I really need to make sure I'm, I'm getting wins to make the playoffs, I have a better shot of doing that. But you could flip the coin right over and say, I'd much rather have my bye weeks later in the season so that I can stack up wins in the beginning of the year to make sure I'm a shoe-in for the playoffs when those later weeks roll around. It's it's so easy to look at it from either perspective. I don't think it matters. Especially you'll hear some people say, Well, I don't want guys who have, you know, one of those bye weeks of death, one of those weeks where there are six teams on bye. And in 2020, it's going to be week eight and week eleven. But I don't really mind having guys who have their buys in those weeks because The same problem is probably going to affect any other team in my league, right? There are going to be plenty of other teams who have guys on by that week. And if I can, honestly, if I can stack up more buys into a single week or one or two weeks, that just means I have a more complete roster or more options with my lineups every other week where those guys aren't all on by. So... It really doesn't matter. It's not really worth the brain space, in my opinion. I agree with you. Now, we do have one kind of special wrinkle in terms of bye weeks this season, and that's that there are no byes in Week 12, but then two teams have their bye in Week 13, the Carolina Panthers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This, I feel like, is a little bit more important because some best ball championship structures, you know, best balls where you're playing against many different leagues and trying to have a, a very, very high variance roster, their playoffs take place during that Week 13
0: yeah, I'm still kind of taking that mindset of just, you know, hey, it's a bye week, you know, just kind of deal with it. I would say that week 13 bye week in particular, you know, doesn't really affect my evaluation when you're looking at Bucks players and also Panthers players. Like you look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey, like he finished last season, you know, as the fantasy RB1, you know, in many formats and led all running backs with an opportunity share you know, of nearly, you know, 92%. That's not necessarily a guy that you're going to pass on. You've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know they were really one of the best or the top I would say receiving tandems in the league last season. Like both finished in top four in uh, receiving yards per game. DJ Moore was another popular uh, draft pick. And like you know he finished last season as a wide receiver two and 53% of his games. You know last season if you look at half point PPR, I'm like you got Keyshawn Vaughn coming in for the Bucs. i like he's well positioned for a breakout rookie season. And you got Tom Brady, the future Hall of Famer, that's there as well. I'm like he can finish at the top ten in that position. Like, the reality is, you know, the fantasy playoffs are important, but Weeks 1 through 13 really positions you to make that playoff push. Again, it's really difficult for your team to prosper, you know, by avoiding players of this caliber.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's such a minor nitpick when you're considering the pros and cons of a fantasy stud like Christian McCaffrey or Chris Godwin, right? It's just not worth that mental energy. I think the only situation I can think of where I might care about that Week 13 buy is if I was in one of those best ball tournaments where I really have to – finish at the cream of the crop. And I, I, even then, it's not like it's not going to push me off of any of those studs. The only thing it might make me do is reconsider stacking multiple players from one of those teams. Like, I'm not going to draft four Panthers if they all have that week 13 bye. But otherwise, I'm just not going to worry about it. And I already answered this question for myself, Eric. But in general, are you willing to stack up players who have the same bye week?
0: Oh, yeah. That, that's something I'm very, uh, very, very open to. You know, It's something I don't have a problem with. I just think it's important not to force like your draft picks, especially once the, the quote unquote bullets start flying, you know, in the live draft. I'm like you really miss out on a ton of talent, you know, if you do. I'm like in a scenario, like if you could land, you know, Nook Hopkins, like Cortland Sutton and Terry McLaurin is your top three receivers on your team, like would you really pass that up just because they all have a week eight bye-week? I'm like same thing with running backs. I'm like, if you could land like a guy like Derrick Henry and Leonard Fournette as your RB1 and RB two. I'm like, are you going to pass on that because they both have a week 7 bye bi-week? I think the answer is no.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Now, let's get into this strength of schedule discussion. And I want to start with kind of some devil's advocate stuff, some caveats, and just some general shade thrown at this analysis that we're going to do throughout the rest of the episode. I just want to be measured about this because there are limitations in using a strength of schedule input in your fantasy analysis. What do you think some of those limitations are for you? Like, what are the most important ones in your mind?
0: Yeah, and that, that's a really good question, because if you look at the the biggest limitation, you know, in my opinion, you know, using something like strength of schedule, you know, as an aid in fantasy, I would say it's really only taking into account the, the previous seasons, like, win percentage for each team. Reality is, like, it's the easiest point of data, so many people use it. You know, it doesn't take into account, you know, free agency, trades, you know, the draft, you know, Vegas odds and other resources available. Uh, I think incorporating in uh, like Super Bowl odds and even preseason wins, totals are, are also useful. Uh, one thing that I love about four, uh, 4 for 4, you know, with that signature strength of schedule metric, you know, adjusted fantasy points or AFPA. I'm like, you can view adjusted fantasy points allowed by position with a lot of that schedule bias removed. Really, the rationale is that by removing that bias, I'm like, you can level the playing field, you know, while comparing matchups. Like, if you look at a defense, for instance, that has a particularly – We'll say easy or difficult schedule at a given position. You know, their fantasy points are adjusted as that schedule bias is ultimately removed. I'm like, it's a good best practice really to leverage, in my opinion, like multiple strength of schedule resources, you know, when conducting research.
1: Yeah, for sure. We just can't easily quantify the personnel discrepancies, the coaching changes between seasons. We can't account for the in-season changes that are yet to occur, you know, injuries, suspensions, things like that. And if you want to get even more granular, we can't account for game-specific factors like game flow. You know, maybe someone gets someone throws two interceptions within the first quarter and it totally tilts how the teams have to attack from a play-calling perspective. Ultimately, we're trying to use imperfect or outdated information, like you said, last season's data, to forecast things that haven't happened yet in a league that changes every week. So what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So with all these limitations in mind, like what do you look for when you're evaluating a fantasy player's schedule? Because I will admit, schedule does matter to me. It's just not its not the be-all, end-all, and I want to be calculated in how much I factor it in. But uh, what are you looking for when you are evaluating the games that a fantasy player is slated to play.
0: Yeah, I, I would say I, I care more about uh, late season, like strength of schedule, because it better reflects like how teams are performing like relative to their peers. Plus, you have more data to work with. It helps to look at early season strength of schedule, too. But it's important to be aware, you know, it's not the end-all, be-all.
1: For sure, early season is actually a little bit more important to me personally because I want to start stacking up wins as soon as possible. It makes it easier for my teams to push for the playoffs. It gives more leverage in the trade market and on waivers. So right? if your team's doing well, you can take more chances. You can be more conservative. You can do whatever you want if you don't have that pressure to get get on the you know the winning track this week. Factoring in that you know bias towards early season. That's me also acknowledging those unforeseen variables that are eventually going to change how we think about the later season matchups, right? Like some matchups at the end of the year are going to turn out worse than we expect. Some will turn out better. We're going to be wrong about some of the early season matchups too, but the chances are that our predictions should be better at the beginning of the year before that variance hits. And if we miss on some of our early week analysis, that's okay because we can react and adjust before getting too deep into the season. Some of the things I'm looking for when I'm evaluating a player's schedule are guys in generally soft divisions. A larger sample size of in-division matchups gives us a better idea of how those divisional teams are going to stack up against each other, and facing the same handful of teams twice in a season matters if there are overall trends that we can identify. For example, like I look at the NFC South, and I see a bunch of potent offenses and a bunch of beatable defenses. That makes me think that those teams could be very likely to shoot out, not in every game, but in a lot of the matchups there. So I'm drawn to the players from that division. Whereas you look at the AFC East, the Patriots, the Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins, the quarterbacks in that division are much more limited. And most of the teams there have solid to strong defenses. So factor that in, factor in the cold weather outdoor stadiums for all the teams except Miami, that's a division that I'm less interested in. So you can look at stuff like that Uh, in terms of the divisions individually to see if you might want to target certain players from those teams. Another thing I'm looking for are what might be predictable game scripts based upon the strengths and weaknesses of teams. Players with a lot of matchups that figure to shoo out based on either the good offenses that they're in, the bad defenses that they're they're facing, dome games that they might be more likely to play in, like that stuff matters to me. And I'm also looking for players with lots of matchups that figure to play out in a slow or conservative way so that I can avoid them. You know, players who are on teams with good defenses or run heavy schemes, playing a lot of cold weather outdoor games, like this stuff does matter to me. It is a minor input, but I do look at it. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: So let's get into some of the winners and losers uh, from the 2020 schedule announcement. And I want to start at running back. When you're thinking about running backs and the schedules that they're going to face, what are you looking for specific to that position? And based on your first impressions of the 2020 slate, which running backs stand out to you as winners or losers?
0: Yeah, another really, really good question. I would say a running back, you know, I I do like to review how many fantasy points, you know, the defenses they're facing, you know, allowed to the position. I think it's also important to really dive deeper and understand, you know, how those fantasy points are generated. You know, was it from rushing yards, receiving yards, you know, or touchdowns? You know, other advanced metrics out there like football outsiders, you know, DVOA, you know, run defense also comes in handy. That uh, would say something else that's really key is when you look at additions or subtractions that each team uh, had, you know, the draft, you know, free agency, particularly at the defensive line and the uh, linebacker position. Like if you kind of pair a lot of these things together, i like you really get a well-rounded outlook, you know, when conducting your schedule analysis. Uh, but I think it's also important too to understand how the bat could potentially exploit the matchup. You know, does the running back thrive against stack boxes? You know, how good is he at evading tackles or creating yards? You know, these are all ways that you could take your schedule analysis to the next level. I know you also asked about like uh, uh, running back winners, you know, from the schedule. You want me to kind of dive into that next?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Who do you got up first?
0: Yeah, I would say uh, Joe Mixon's one that came to mind as a winner. You know, I think the Bengals will continue to prioritize the running game in 2020. You know, they've got Joe Burrow uh, under center. Mike Mixon was, you know, ridiculous last season. Like, he averaged, you know, around 25 opportunities a game, you know, coming out of the bye week. I know Cincinnati uh, decided to prioritize the running game given their quarterback situation. You know, the only other running backs with more fantasy points, you know, and half-point PPR, you know, from Week 10 to Week 17 were uh, Zeke Elliott you know, Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey. I know uh, some folks are concerned about the Bengals' uh, poor offensive line play, but the reality is it hasn't stopped mixing, mixing from finishing. He knows an RB2 or better in 56% of his uh, career games, and he's even had the split snaps with uh, Giovanni Bernard. Uh, I know he also ranked first last season among running backs with uh, 103 evaded tackles as well. Uh, I think one thing that'll help the Bengals, I'm like, you've got Burrow under center, obviously, but the return of the offensive tackle, Jonah Williams is also going to help Mixon with his uh, efficiency. He's also entering a contract year as well.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I I like Joe Mixon's outlook for this year. I I hope that he pops because I've got him on a dynasty roster. I've been hanging on to him there for for quite some time. I keep getting, I I mentioned this on the last episode, I keep getting bombarded with offers for him. But uh, speaking to another up-and-coming Running back and this one's a rookie Indianapolis Jonathan Taylor Marlon Mack these guys I think the arrow is pointing up based upon the schedule Indianapolis's opponents have the worst average of expected win totals based on seasonal over unders that chart that I was talking about that TJ posted oh, yeah and if you look at the teams that the Colts are set to face not many of them have highly potent offenses that could figure to put the Colts in negative game scripts. I'm looking at Week Five at Cleveland, Week Nine versus Baltimore, and Weeks Thirteen and Fifteen against Houston as the scariest matchups in terms of the opposing offense being explosive, able to put up a bunch of points really fast based upon the weapons they have. If I look at the rest of Indy's schedule, it doesn't scare me that much. So I'm I'm excited about these running backs for the Colts. How about you?
0: Yeah, I know that's a backfield, and I'm I'm excited to see what uh, see what unfolds. Uh, I know a lot of folks are concerned about uh you know about the kind of the running back tandem and the split there, but. I could easily see them running the ball, you know, a lot more. I know whenever uh, Rivers was paired, you know, with the offensive coordinator in the past, I know they leaned heavily on the running game. So I, I like both of those guys.
1: Who's uh, who's next for you as a winner or a loser?
0: James Conner is another winner. Uh, I know he continues to be, you know, criminally underrated when you look at, like, his average draft position. I know our very own, uh, Justin Edwards, wrote a fantastic article about Conner and his uh, demise being greatly exaggerated I know he mentioned that uh, Connor's uh, two-year, 16-game pace, you know, was over 1,500 total yards and 14 touchdowns. You know, I think he's a guy who could easily outperform his average draft position. I know he finished as an RB two or better in 65% of the games he's played in. You know, the rumored second-round pick that was coming to Pittsburgh ended up being a fourth-round scat back, and uh, Anthony McFarlane. I think everyone should draft Connor with confidence and enjoy the production as long as he stays healthy, obviously.
1: Yeah, that article from Justin was great. I've been drafting Connor and a fair number of best balls. I do think he's a little undervalued. And you look at their schedule, and there just aren't that many teams on it that profile to be highly like potent winning teams. Like I'm, they face Baltimore twice. That's obviously not exactly what you want. But other than that, their toughest matchups are Tennessee, Houston, Dallas, Indianapolis. Like these aren't world beating. Uh, teams that they're facing for the most part and you factor in their strong defense in Pittsburgh, you factor in their strong offensive line, you factor in the cold weather at the end of the year and that's a team that should be running a fair amount and I think James Conner is going to be the primary guy there. I like that call. Uh, One more winner from me, Dalvin Cook on the Minnesota Vikings. Only three of their opponents in weeks 1 through 16 ranked in the top 12 of run defense last year according to Football Outsiders DVOA. You mentioned them earlier. Uh, None of those three teams that are in the top 12, or in division either, and two of Minnesota's non-divisional matchups are against two of the worst teams from last year in run defense DVOA, Carolina, and Jacksonville. To me, this schedule outlook for Cook cements him as the RB4 or the RB5 after Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and maybe Kamara. Flip a coin between Dalvin Cook and Kamara as far as I'm concerned, but he's got to be in that discussion for the RB4. What do you think?
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really high on uh, Dalvin Cook, uh, Cook as well. I know he's tied to a uh, the really productive uh, zone running scheme, you know, with Kubiak is kind of the offensive advisor. You know, so I, I really agree with that. Uh, you know with that take.
1: Do you want to rattle off uh, just some honorable mentions? Just list some guys who you also view as winners before we get to a more detailed look at some losers from the schedule.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll be happy to do that. I know one guy that's a, that's a winner for me would be uh, Leonard Fournette. Uh, you know, just given the situation with the Jaguars, I know he's not coming back. Um, you know, with his fifth-year option, you know, not being accepted, but I think he's a guy that they'll uh, they'll run you know, very hard. I know David Johnson's another one, uh, as well as uh, David Montgomery. I think all these backs have really good schedules and are, are tied to really productive running schemes.
1: All right, so let's move to losers. And uh, who's first for you?
0: The the biggest loser, you know, when you look at like the schedule, would end up being uh, Austin Eckler. I know he faces a uh, stout schedule in 2020. I'm like he's also going to have to deal with uh, Tyrod Taylor under center and not Philip Rivers. Uh, he could see more usage as a as a runner, which is not a strong suit. I know he ranked 34th among running backs in yard created uh, per game last season. So I think he's one guy that just given the situation and the schedule that's definitely a loser
1: for me. Yeah, sounds good. One of them for me is Josh Jacobs. Most of the teams on Oakland's schedule feature stout defenses high-powered offenses to put the Raiders in bad game script, or both, and that's just a combo I don't want to see, so I worry about how favorable the week-to-week situations are going to be for Jacobs. If he goes off in week one against the Panthers, I've already noted how they had a really bad run defense last year. If Jacobs can explode in week one, I might look to sell high right right out of the gate before he has to face New Orleans, New England, Buffalo, and Kansas City over the next four weeks, because all four of those teams fit that bill of having either a good defense a good offense to put pressure on the Raiders to throw or both and so I just don't really want a whole lot of investment in Josh Jacobs like don't get me wrong I'm still interested in him like there are very few guys who profile to be actual bell cows for their teams getting most of the touches out of the backfield but the schedule has me worried about him
0: yeah that's one that I noticed too when looking at uh, you know some of the tools on four for four and then also at uh, TJ's uh, tweet with that with that graph. Yeah, that that was one. I was like, wow. I'm like, he's gonna get the opportunities. Yeah, but that's a rough schedule, my friend.
1: Who else are you worried about at running back? Someone
0: else where it's kind of like a situation where there's some opportunity there. Uh, I would say, given the the run defenses that the Browns face, like in 2020, I'm like, it wouldn't be a surprise to see Kareem Hunt ultimately end up being more valuable, you know, than Nick Chubb, in my opinion.
1: That's interesting, because when I was looking at their schedule, I almost had the opposite take. And, and I understand that they have some tougher matchups there. But one, I think Cleveland's just going to be better this year. And they improve their offensive line, which was a big need. That's going to help the running backs. But I'd look at their schedule, and I see a lot of pretty easy matchups. You know, Cincinnati twice, they get to face the Raiders, they get Houston, they get Jacksonville, they get the Giants and the Jets. And, and I understand the Jets defense isn't you know, a total pushover or anything, but I don't know. I'm I'm still okay with the Cleveland schedule, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, like to your point, I'm like it's you know they have some matchups that aren't quite as uh, as daunting. It's just I just get worried with having Hunt in that uh, in that backfield kind of takes away some opportunities from Chubb, you know, as a receiver out of the backfield. And um, plus, I like some of the moves and adjustments that the um, that those teams that you mentioned made, like in the off it's a situation to watch, but I just look at a guy that's like, as dirt cheap as hunt, like in drafts, you know, relative to someone like Chubb. And that's just a scenario where I would lean more towards like the cheaper investment.
1: Oh, I agree with that for sure. The, the price discrepancy between those guys based upon how they performed in the second half of last year, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like I think Chubb's going a little too high. I think hunt is going a little too late. I, both players are good. And, and yeah, when that happens, I generally want to be more invested in the, the cheaper option in terms of draft cost. Um, One more loser for me, Melvin Gordon, on the Broncos, the average projected win total for Denver's opponents is 8.3, tied for second worst in the NFL with the Raiders, Giants, and Jets. And the average extrapolated point total weekly for Denver over weeks one through 16 is fifth worst in the league. I'll talk a little bit more about what I did to calculate that, but it doesn't look good for Denver Add in the questionable quarterback expectations for Drew Locke, like I'm not really a believer in him and a running back timeshare potential with Philip Lindsey. And I'm just a little bit worried about drafting Melvin Gordon at cost, especially because he does have a, a fair amount of mileage on him at this point. It seems like he could end up being the poster boy for, you know, the zero RB truthers at the end of the year. And I'm not saying zero RB is the the be-all end all. It's not something that we have to do, but when I'm looking for running backs who might break down, who might disappoint, like Melvin Gordon has enough red flags for me to consider him that sort of risk to some extent. You know what I mean?
0: No, no, exactly. Yeah, I kind of had the same observation from uh, looking at, you know, their schedule and then where you've got Locke, to your point. I'm like, he's he just doesn't have a lot of experience, and I'm um, like, that schedule, even looking at it from the quarterback perspective is uh, suboptimal. So I'm right there with you, man.
1: Uh, any other losers at running back you want to mention before we get to the other positions?
0: Now I would say let's dive into our wide receivers.
1: Okay, let's do it. Who do you got?
0: Yeah, I would say one one guy where I look at the situation and the schedule that I'm really high on is uh, is Allen uh Allen Robinson. Couldn't get the words out. Uh, I, I love their schedule. I'm like, you know, he was productive uh, last season. I'm like, he averaged, you know, nearly 10 targets and 103 air yards per game, and, and finishes a wide receiver two or better in 50% of the games last season. A half point PPR, and that's even with Trubisky like under center. Everybody knows how much of the abomination that Trubisky is. I'm like, when you look at true passer rating, I'm like, the guy finished 30th. And, you know, that takes out, obviously, uh, unpressured throwaways and drop passes. So I think the addition of Foles, you know, is a great thing for the Bears offense in 2020. When you pair that uh, also with uh, Chicago's schedule and a receiver like Robinson, I think he's going to go boom in 2020.
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated by the NFC North and trying to figure out where the value is going to be from that division in fantasy because I can look across the division to Detroit and make a similar case for Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. Like Galladay and A-Rob are, are very similar in my mind. Just guys who have lockdown on big target shares for their teams and the Lions have the second easiest schedule according to TJ's chart. They also play 11 of their games in domes, which I like. Uh, I In general, I'm just very optimistic about Galladay and Marvin Jones, and even TJ Hawkinson. And, of course, if I like all the receivers there, I have to like Matthew Stafford's outlook too. My only concern with him is health. But assuming he's healthy, this could be a pretty big year for the Lions. I know that uh, in our Slack for for 4-4-4, Joe Payno has been waving the flag for Detroit. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go there, but I can see the appeal, right?
0: No, no, I I agree with you. That was someone I I did have on my list uh, as well because Galladay is a really, really nice value. Uh, and Jones, too, you know, with that team, so I'm right there with you. Man. All
1: right, who's next for you, a wide receiver?
0: Uh, I'll, I'll say Devontae Adams and uh, Devin Funches are winning. Uh, I know the Packers front office have been like raked over the coals after this year's draft, but the Green Bay schedule um, like, has their receivers positioned very well. Uh, I know Adams has, has been a monster when he's been tethered, obviously, to Aaron Rodgers. I think Funchess is a, uh, a really intriguing option. Cause he was very productive, you know, with the uh, with the Panthers like over the last two seasons with the Panthers. I know he caught, you know, 107 passes for, you know, nearly 1400 yards and 12 touchdowns. I know last year with the Colts, you know, he only played one game before the uh, injury. But I'm like Funchess caught 21 touchdowns with the Panthers. And now he's going to be tied to future Hall of Fame quarterback uh, Aaron Rodgers. So those are two guys that I uh, that I really like.
1: Yeah, I like it. You look at Green Bay's schedule and they have some tough defenses on there, but they also have a lot of potential shootout matchups. I see New Orleans on there. I see Atlanta, Tampa Bay, even against San Francisco, like that defense is really tough, but the San Francisco offense is (laughs) very capable of putting up points on the Packers. We saw that last season. And so when that happens, they're going to have to play catch up and you might not want the quarterback in that scenario because a quarterback in predictable game script might often throw interceptions, but you do want the receivers in that sort of scenario. On top of those potential shootout matchups, I also see Jacksonville on Green Bay's schedule, Carolina. Like there are some some cupcake matchups in there too, so I like that call. Um, I mentioned Atlanta. They're the next kind of winners at wide receiver for me. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and you know by proxy, again, the quarterback, Matt Ryan. They play 12 of their fantasy-relevant games in domes and as noted earlier the nfc south is just full of quality offenses that are set to shoot out in any given week the rest of the falcon schedule doesn't feature that many imposing defenses either you know the worst ones are week 6 at minnesota week 9 home for denver and week 14 at the chargers Maybe I'm not worried enough about the potential improvement from Tampa Bay's defense, but for now I'm just going to assume that Matt Ryan and company are gonna be able to pass it against the Bucs and they're gonna to need to pass it against the Bucs. So I'm very interested in this Atlanta passing game for 2020.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. Just when you look at their competition, I'm like, that that division is it is loaded. So no, all really good points.
1: Any other winners, a wide receiver for you, or do you want to get to some losers?
0: Yeah, I would say let's get to the losers, but I'll just kind of give a, a rapid fire of um, you know of some uh, additional winners that I have here. Uh, you know, DJ Shark is one with the Jaguars. I think really given the schedule and like all the Cowboys receivers are, are well positioned. I mean, you have got Amari Cooper, Gallup, Ceedee Lamb. You know, Lamb. Uh, you know Nick Hopkins is looking looking good with the Cardinals. Uh, I know he's tethered to a really uh, productive quarterback. You know Offensive Rookie of the Year in uh, Clef, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's uh, offense, so he's in good shape. Uh, Debo Samuels is another one likewise with Terry Before and I can go ahead and transition to uh, a loser real quick. Yeah, go for it. One that really uh struck out to me was uh Stephon Diggs. Like the Bills schedule, you know, isn't a walk in the park, plus he'll have to deal with a number one cornerback every week. On top of that, Diggs is also catching passes from Josh Allen, you know, who finished last season ranked eighteenth, eighteenth, uh, excuse me, in a true passer rating and does have a tendency to overthrow his receivers. So that was one that It really struck out to
1: me as a loser. Yeah, the Bills passing game is at the top of my list here. And I mentioned this earlier, but I did something weird where I looked at the game total over-unders that have been released for the first two weeks of the regular season. I averaged those totals for each individual team. Then I used the averages to determine an overall strength of schedule, so to speak, based upon the averages that each team is going to face from other teams. And the Bills ranked dead last with an extrapolated weekly average of 43.4 total points uh, per matchup. Ultimately the AFC East is just an ugly division and considering where you have to pay up to get Stefan Diggs, John Brown, and even Josh Allen, like considering where these guys are going in drafts, I don't think the premium you have to pay is worth the risk, especially at quarterback with Allen because quarterback is so deep. Like you don't have to pay up for him just because he's been good for the past two years, just because he has that rushing production. Like, we know that he's an inaccurate player. The schedule is brutal. Like, why make this the year that you go after Josh Allen? You're just chasing points, in my opinion. Uh, who, who's another loser for you, Eric, at the wide receiver or anything in the passing game?
0: Yeah, Devontae Parker, you know, is another another loser for me. I'm um, like, he's a candidate to get overdrafted, you know, based on his performance uh, last season. I'm um, like, he thrived last year due to the injury to Preston Williams and also the poor play of Miami's defense. I don't think that'll be the case, you know, obviously in 2020s. Uh, he's a loser. For
1: Yep, uh, the Dolphins were on my list, uh, as were the Tennessee Titans. Um, Both of them were near the bottom of those uh, extrapolated weekly points uh, or expected uh, that I calculated. And with Tennessee, what really concerns me is you look at TJ's chart, and they have a relatively soft schedule in terms of the win totals expected for their opponents, uh, only 7.7 wins on average for the teams that they're going to face in 2020. And with that in mind... And with the mentality of the Titans in mind, you know, that ground and pound mentality with Derrick Henry, I just don't know how much they're going to be passing. And I think that Ryan Tannehill is set to regress based upon the touchdown rate that he showed last year. All this stuff is stacking up to me to be very wary of A.J. Brown at cost of all the other receiving options in that offense in Tennessee. Uh, And it's a very similar story for Miami where the schedule is tough, the division is tough. And they're one where, where they're opposing uh, win totals are actually a little more on average. They, their opponents have an average win total of eight wins in a season. So, you know, right in the middle. And that tells me that they're probably going to be a relatively balanced team. We know that they kind of want to win with defense and run the ball a little bit. I, I know that Ryan Fitzpatrick can be a gunslinger at times, but the Dolphins are one that worry me. And so are the Titans. All right, let's get into quarterbacks next. This is probably the next most relevant fantasy position in terms of schedule. Uh, what are you looking for with a quarterback schedule and who stands out to you as someone you're, you're more or less interested in because of the schedule?
0: Yeah, I would say with the quarterback, you know, i like to review, you know, obviously, how many fantasy points you know, those defenses they're facing allowed to the position. But I always like to look back at their uh, statistical history with their number of passing guards and air guards per game. I think those two things are very important. And pairs nicely when you examine you know, the opponent's offseason additions defensively, you know, whether it be on the front seven or the secondary. As far as winners, you know, from the uh, from the schedule, I know there's a uh, – I'll kind of go through these guys with rapid fire and then give uh, kind of one with a little bit more context. But, you know, I look at guys like Russell Wilson, you know, Carson Wentz, you know, Dak Prescott, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Burrow. You know, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, they're all set up pretty nicely when you look at their uh, schedule. I think a guy like Russell Wilson, with his rushing ability too, may be like the dark horse candidate to finish finishes the uh, fantasy uh, QB one But I would say one guy that's kind of under the radar, uh, I would say that's a winner, is uh, Delane Haskins. I'm like, he's looking to improve on his uh, rookie season. I know they've got a new coaching regime in there. But I think a guy like Haskins and Terry McLaurin are, are going to create a, a lot of fancy points this year.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting call. I haven't really considered him because he's just not the type of player I end up drafting in most cases. But you're right about his schedule. Like it, it lines up to be pretty tough. On TJ's chart, the Redskins are slated to face a pretty tough schedule 8.2 average wins per opponent, according to the over unders for those teams. And that tells me that Washington is going to have to throw. I know that they probably want to be a little bit more run heavy to protect their young quarterback, but just based on Paul and volume alone, we could see some big weeks from Haskins as he tries to play catch up, and yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I appreciate that you brought up Russell Wilson. He somehow just continues, continues to be criminally underrated like every season, but he's my QB3 uh, in terms of rankings. I could argue that maybe he... I don't know if you could argue that he could be higher than that, you know, ahead of Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, but the body of work for him over his career is so great that I just can't bring myself to draft Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray over him, even though I'd look at the weapons that those guys have and, and you can make the case for them. Right. But for me, it's Russell Wilson still.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. It, it's funny that you mentioned uh, like with Mahomes, uh, you know, just given you know the chief schedule, he was someone that I felt like was a loser. Why do you say that? Yeah. And it would just be mainly from the perception of, of not meeting you know all the expectations. I'm like he's a Super Bowl MVP. You know he has a even bigger target on his back, and the, the Chiefs' schedule is very challenging, even for like the running back position and quarterback position. So I think it could be one of those scenarios like early on that he doesn't live up, you know, to his average draft position. I guess that could be kind of considered a hot take, but I'm just not a guy that drafts quarterbacks high in leagues anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the ultimate takeaway with those guys who are going up at the top of rankings. Um, let's move on to losers at QB. Uh, who stands out to you?
0: Yeah, I would I would say the kind of the easy one is uh, with the Chargers, you know, with their experiment with uh, Tyrod Taylor, you know, it may not last the entire season. We're looking at their schedule. I'm like Justin Herbert may be playing meaningful meaningful snaps. I would say sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, they're an interesting one to me because I don't know exactly who the quarterback is going to be when. Right, like I'm assuming that Taylor is going to start out with the job. How many weeks he holds it is a big question. And typically when teams draft quarterbacks early in the first round like the Chargers did with Herbert. Those guys are starting sooner rather than later and that tells me that Taylor is going to be gone by, you know, the 5th, 6th, 7th week at the latest. That's typically how I approach these sorts of scenarios, but they're playing it pretty close to the vest it seems like their bye week isn't until week 10. So we could see them try to play out the string, hold Taylor in their under center until the bye week before getting Herbert in and yeah, I was surprised at some of the totals that I saw for them. I mean, granted, one of them in their Week 2 matchup is against Kansas City, so the total in that game is obviously going to be high. But they do have a fair amount of shootout potential type games. I just don't think that's going to be the Chargers mentality this year. I think they want to win with defense, slowing the game down. This is one of those those points I was making earlier about pace and game script. I think that no matter what the situation is with the Chargers, they're going to try to shorten games, and that is unappealing from a schedule perspective for sure. Um, Anybody else stand out to you as a loser based upon the schedule release?
0: Yeah, I'll say one other one. We kind of touched on it uh, earlier is uh, Michael Drew Locke. I I know he's being touted as as a uh, breakout candidate, but with their schedule and his lack of uh, starting experience, i just think the Broncos are going to try to lean heavily on Melvin Gordon and uh, Phil Lindsay in the running game this year. Yeah, he was one that, you know, folks are looking at in 2QB and super flex leagues where I'm just like, he's definitely a loser with that schedule.
1: Yeah, definitely. The fact that the Broncos have to face the AFC East is not a good look. Like having to play at the Jets, at New England, against Buffalo, at home at the end of the year, like those are all quality defenses and Miami's defense should be up and coming, although I don't think – the Miami game is is early in the season. It's week six, but I like that call. And I'm just fading Drew Locke in general. The fact that the schedule is bad for him uh, only helps support that case for me. Uh, Let's move on to tight end. And this is one where I care a lot less about schedule, to be honest, because tight end production, one, is so fluky in the first place. And two, when you look at strength of schedule metrics, like even if you look at our adjusted fantasy points against at four for four, it's driven a lot by the best players in the position, right? How many points have been scored against a defense by tight ends typically just depends on the quality of tight ends that they've faced. And so it's really tough to strip out the schedule bias when you're talking about a defense against tight end. Uh, Do you have anything to add to that or any other things that you're looking for when you're evaluating the schedule of a tight end, Eric?
0: No, I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. I just mainly look at their uh, fantasy points per game and yards per route run. When looking at the tight end position, it's it's like a, a wasteland out there, just like Mad Max style uh, of trying to look up for production. But I, I do have like a intriguing winner I would like to go through uh, at the position. That's not I don't believe is like one of the obvious names. Lay it on me. Yeah, I would say when you look at uh, the Seahawks, like Greg Olson and Will Disley are winners. I'm like the Seahawks have essentially filled their number three receiver role with the tight end. Like, Disley operated as a third option in the passing game for Seattle last season before rupturing his Achilles in Week 6. Like, he was averaging, you know, a little bit over 52 receiving yards per game. I'm like, that trend, in my opinion, is like an indicator of a change in the Seahawks' offensive philosophy when you look at some of the other offseason moves they've made. And, like, they also drafted uh, Colby Parkinson in the fourth round and also traded back into the seventh round to select uh, Steven Seller. So that was. One kind of under-the-radar team I felt like was a winner given their schedule.
1: Right, and they haven't really improved their wide receiver group all that much. I think they brought in Philip Dorsett, but for the most part, the additions that they made to their team were at the tight end position, and that seems to be a point of emphasis for them, and it speaks to their desire to run the ball a lot, right? And I think based upon that division that they're in, the NFC West is one of those where it's – sneakily kind of like the nfc south where i look at the rams the niners the seahawks and the cardinals as all teams that if they want to can put their foot on the gas on offense and that could lead to a lot of in-division shootouts when the season is going even if seattle wants to be running the ball a lot i could see them being forced into scripts where they have to pass more and because their wide receiver options are relatively limited with just Metcalf and Lockett, that's going to mean more work for the tight ends. I think that's a really good call. Uh, I'm going to make a, a more obvious one with Evan Ingram. The Giants' defense is going to be bad again. Their slate of opponents is one of the toughest, according to those projected win totals from sportsbooks. On that note, I don't really want too much exposure to Daniel Jones, though, because the tough schedule is likely going to lead to some ugly games for him. But the pass catchers that's what I want. I want Ingram, the wide receivers there, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate. I'm interested in all three of those guys. If Daniel Jones is going to be chucking in a ton to keep up with these good opponents that they're set to face, that makes me really interested in his pass catchers and Evan Ingram especially, because I think that he's probably their best red zone threat. Uh, So yeah, he's another guy who, who really stands out to me as a winner based upon the schedule for 2020.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah, I think we're, uh, we're definitely on the same page uh, a lot tonight. Yeah, he was another one I had on my list.
1: <laughs> Who do you have as a loser at tight end?
0: Yeah, like, like you're saying, it's tough, just given uh, you know how the position uh, plays out. But I guess one guy that came to mind was uh, Hunter Henry, given their schedule. But you also have Taylor, you know, under center as well. It's a lot different than catching passes from Philip Rivers.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to look at it. Again, coming back to that idea of game script and which teams are going to be wanting to pass a lot. I don't think the Chargers are one of those teams. I don't think Tennessee is one of those teams. So I could see Jonu Smith being viewed as a loser. Like all those teams that are expected maybe to be more conservative. Yes, the tight ends might be on the field a little bit more to help support the running game. But if they're blocking, they're not catching passes. So you might still see some touchdown spikes, some variance in that form from your tight ends on those conservative teams. But you're not going to get that consistent production, those big yardage weeks that you might with a tight end from a more potent offense like one of the ones in the NFC South. You know that you're, uh, you're Hayden Hurst, your Jared Cook, uh, that type of player. I think those are the guys who I'd much rather be targeting in my drafts are the guys who are going to be in high volume passing offenses. Uh, and so anybody who doesn't fit that bill at tight end is probably going to be a loser in my mind. Do you have any other fantasy strategy related to the 2020 schedule that you want to impart to the listeners before we close this thing down?
0: Yeah, I would only say just just one thing. It's uh, it seems like it's shaping up in drafts to, to be the really great year to go uh, running back heavy. You know, just given the number of viable receivers that are that are available that you can get outside of the, the high leverage rounds. So I would say that would be some uh, some fantasy wisdom I would uh, impart on uh, those listening.
1: Yeah, and that's I think just going to be the way of the NFL for the next couple of years forward uh, until we see some sort of shift in the way that these passing attacks work. But I don't see any sign of that on the horizon. So that's uh, that's good advice. All right, Eric, uh, that does it. Uh, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find your stuff?
0: Yeah, I'll just uh, reiterate. I'm like you can find me on Twitter at Eric N Moody. The N is for my middle name Nicholas. And uh, check out my content at uh, 4 for 4. You know the athletic fantasy and uh, fantasy data. You know I've got a number of articles I'm preparing for the month of May and June. You know including different types of uh, player profiles. You know a mini series focusing on the age when running backs and wide receivers break out uh, and decline. Uh, another piece on uh, second year running backs and wide receivers considered on draft day and uh, other player forecasts. So got a lot of a lot of stuff cooking. So appreciate the support.
1: And if you all head over to 4 we do have our adjusted fantasy points against metric updated, the AFPA that Eric mentioned at the top of the show. Eric does have an upcoming article on strength of schedule findings based upon that AFPA update. Uh, we also have those updated rankings and projections that I mentioned from John Paulson. John is also doing articles to break down each individual position that he has ranked So go get subscribed, and if you're worried about your subscription not mattering, if we don't have an NFL season, uh, our COVID-19 subscription policy is that in the event that there is no season, your subscription is going to be carried over to 2021. Hopefully there will be football then. I'm assuming there will be. I'm assuming there's going to be football this year. That's why we're doing the podcast, but uh, just something to keep in mind. Your money is not going to get wasted if you sub uh, heading into 2020 and there isn't a season. I just want to let you all know before I sign off that I'm going to be taking a break from the podcast for a few weeks. I need to recharge again a little bit and focus on prep for the bigger off-season push that will hopefully lead to that on-time start of the 2020 season. So on that note, if you have any special requests for guests or topics once the podcast returns, let me know. I'm on Twitter at GregSauce. Otherwise, we'll be back in yours before you know it. So until then, thanks as always for listening to The Most Accurate Podcast.